Hey, it's good to see everybody today. Uh, woo, it's just a little bit different. I think we are pressing on toward normalcy. You know, like the normal crazy that we live in uh, is is around the corner. It, it's coming. Uh, you know, it's actually the weather's kind of nice this morning. Our, our problem was the field and and how muddy it was because of a week of rain and everything. So we're indoors today and and uh, hello to Midlothian. Hello to our online crowd. You, you'll notice we have this camera here because after several months of being online and people being up close, they've noticed how really good looking I am. And, and we just get so much email saying, we don't want the faraway shot. We want to take in all of this good-lookingness. So we, we have a camera here. For, actually, it gives me a chance, as I say, to preach to the couch. Because that, that's where you are if you're not sitting right here, right? Preaching, preaching to the couch. But glad to have everybody uh, here today. So one, one more Sunday, next Sunday... June 28th, we'll be outdoors, and then the plan right now is on July 5, we're coming back inside, and uh, we're going to be doing now Midlothian, um, nothing I'm saying affects you, you're going to continue as is with your 9 and 11, but as we come back inside here at the Colonial Heights campus, we're going to be at 9 and 11, starting July 5, and uh, here's what I'm really excited to say, on July 12, one Sunday after that, we're going to be able to bring back our nursery, our children, and our youth ministries. Yes, big, big praise for that. So now the way that'll work is we're going to be doing it at one hour. So we're doing that at nine o'clock. And the reason not both hours is because right now, just trying to follow the guidelines, uh, it's going to be a lot to turn over the sanctuary from one hour to the next. We, we can't turn over the whole building, each and every room, get those cleaned for the next hour to come in. So we'll be doing that at nine o'clock. Uh, so our families do have that nine o'clock hour if you want to engage your kids with that. And uh, again, I think we're, we're moving toward normalcy, the, the normal crazy that we live in. So uh, be praying for that and, and how we bring all those details together. Happy Father's Day to all of our dads out there. Uh, as was said earlier, we do have some, kind of some fun things for Father's Day. We'll do those next week, like the grill. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be giving away a grill. And um, I, you know what? Honestly, I wanted every father to get a grill. Um, but the finance committee just voted me down on that very, it wasn't even, it wasn't even a split decision or anything. I was just voted, voted down. But while one person will get a grill, every father's going to get a, uh, a, 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 a little, a snack, a smoked snack stick. Did you know that's what this is at? Y'all are called a Slim Jim, don't you? No, no, it is a smoked snack stick. And, uh, so those will otherwise called a Slim Jim. Uh, th- those will be there next week. So we're looking forward to our last outdoor service next week and then indoors starting on July 5. So going to do something a little bit different today. And part of this started because it is getting warmer outside. That's why we're, that's why we're coming inside starting July 5. But uh, it, you know, it still, I think, even applies for today because of our message. I'm going to do something I normally don't do. And that is I'm going to, I'm going to preach with notes. So here's why. When I practice uh, all through the week, I, I hold my, my notes in my hand. And, and all week long, that message will take anywhere from 17 to 22, sometimes even 23, 24 minutes. 
Now, I know you're thinking, I've never once seen you preach in 17 minutes. I don't know what happens, but when I leave my office and the notes in there, it grows as it gets to the pulpit. And this message that I've worked on all week with notes is 28, 29, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be an hour long. And and I just thought, you know, they, they probably don't want that. And you'll understand in just a moment why it could be an hour long. So I'm going to preach some notes this morning. And uh, honestly, you're going to you're going to watch me because now you're going to watch what I'm doing with my notes, right? And you're going to think he's not actually looking at them. And at that point, you pray, dear God, please make him look at his notes because that will keep me on track and get us out of here before three o'clock. Okay. Okay. We all in that together. You pray for me there at, at home. Lord, keep them, keep them going. So when we start, and then I fold my notes. <laughs> so when we started this series, do you realize we're already in like our 10th or 11th week of this? When we started this way back in, you'll remember, I'm the only one ever to start a Revelation series in Second Peter 3. And, and you remember there, we were dealing with the question, why hasn't the Lord actually come back? I mean, he promised he would, and it's been a long time, long enough to start doubting that promise. We asked, when's the Lord going to do something about evil and wrong and, and Satan? And you remember what Peter taught us in Second Peter 3 is the Lord's not being slow. The Lord hasn't broken a promise. What he is doing is being patient because something awful is coming. And he wants people to escape that. He wants all to come to repentance. He wants all to come to eternal life. And if he brings that day to day, hey, not everybody in here, not everybody watching online is is going to be a part of that. I mean, that, that's just the reality of, of humanity. And so he's patient and he's waiting. But folks, there will be a day when there's no more delay. And what we're going to look at today is what that day looks like when there is no more delay. We are going to march through 19 judgments. And now is when you say, oh, Lord, keep them close to the notes. Uh, 19 judgments. And we're going to move through that pretty quickly. And I want to tell you something right now. Some of you are going to see some things and understand some things about what God is doing. And, and I'm confident somebody here is going to be thinking, I didn't know God was like that. I, I didn't know God would do that. You may even think that that's, that's not nice. You know, when we deal with, with anger, when we deal with judgment, it's always done by imperfection. Do you realize you've never once been perfectly angry in your whole life? You might have had a reason to be angry, and you might have done pretty good at expressing that anger, but never perfectly. God expresses anger perfectly. What does that mean? Love is involved in God's perfect anger. Justice is involved in God's perfect anger. Truth is involved in God's perfect anger. So when you see this, don't, don't think of the angry person that you know and think, is now God acting like, like that? You know, let me remind you, encourage you, challenge you with the truth of Hebrews 13, 8. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God you're going to see in the tribulation is the same God that was at the cross. And he is going to bring a stop to sin. And it will be awesome, and it will be awesome in its terror. 
So today what we're looking at, we're going to kind of cover Revelation 6 through 16. There'll be a lot we don't cover. We'll come back to that and some other subjects and topics. But what we're covering in those chapters is the judgment. Seven uh, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, 19 judgments. And you're saying, now I know you're a pastor, but you're not very good at math, right? Because seven plus seven plus seven. But remember, the seventh seal is the seven trumpets. And and the seventh trumpet is the seven bowls. So I promise you go home, write it on paper. It adds up to 19. Okay. So I'm going to, there's going to be some passages I read. There's going to be some passages I don't, but you will want to open your Bible and follow along. So like right now, turn to Revelation six. You're, you're here in the room with us. You're, you're sitting on the couch out there at Midlothian. Open up to Revelation chapter six. And I'm going to start going through these seals and, um, as I do that, I'm not going to read, but I'm going to refer to it so you can kind of look down and, and follow where I am. So Revelation chapter 6 and the first four seals, you may have heard this phrase and, and didn't even know it came out of the Bible. The first four seals are called the four horsemen of the apocalypse, okay? So the first seal, and that's verses 1 and 2, is going to be one coming forward on a white horse. He is the the conqueror, and this one who comes on the white horse is the Antichrist. The first seal, the first judgment is unleashing on this world the Antichrist. And, and the Antichrist is going, is going to come into the world and he's called a conqueror. And his first round of conquering is done with his smile. It's going to be his charisma. It's going to be his vision. And, and people, People, nations are literally going to sign over their sovereignty, sign over their freedom to come under the Antichrist. His first round of conquering is by diplomacy. Now, will all come under that? No, absolutely not. And then we have our second horse, the red horse. And you notice that the red horse there in verses 3 and 4 brings war. Brings, brings war on all those who did not freely turn over their lives to the Antichrist. And war will touch every aspect of the planet. There, it, it's the removal of peace from the earth. You know, we've seen, man, a lot of turmoil in our world and all kinds of world wars and even what we're going through now. And yet there are people, there are places that, that there's peace. With this second seal, there's no peace anywhere. There's nobody experiencing a moment of peace. And then the third horse comes forward. It is a black horse and it brings famine. You'll notice there in verses 5 and 6, it's holding scales. And the the scales are, are a symbol of a real careful rationing of food. And you'll notice it says there that what your paycheck does now in buying you food, it'll only buy one-tenth of that food. During, during the tribulation. What your paycheck does now, only one-tenth of that amount of food. And there's kind of an interesting twist there. You'll notice that there is plenty of wine and olive oil. Now, why, why make that point? What's being referred to there? Well, both of those items are symbolic of a, of a, of a richness, of a, of a fullness, of a luxury of life, things that, that make things better. And what God, I think, is doing there is almost taunting. All I mean, think of how much people will, if given the opportunity, give their lives to chasing after luxury. 
And, and here the world will be literally starving to death with plenty of luxury all around. And then we move into our fourth seal. It's the only horse that has a name. Its name is death. It is followed by Hades. Death takes the the material man, the body. Hades takes the immaterial man or the soul. And this judgment is, is, is going to come forth and it is going to bring a series of things. It's going to bring war and famine and disease and, and even notice there, wild animals. Something is going to happen in the animal kingdom where they feel a greater freedom to roam and to kill. And and the result of all of these things happening together is that one-fourth of the population of earth will be killed. One-fourth. Now, you know, when you look at that, there's no, there's no actual timing given. Is this going to happen in a day? Is, is it going to take seven weeks? Is it going to take three months? Don't know that. There's no timing given there. But I think we should understand it's pretty short order. I doubt it's a day. But it could be one week, seven weeks, ten weeks in a short amount of time. Can you imagine that? One out of every four people on the planet dying. Today, that would be two billion. Let's say it takes six months. Can you imagine two billion people dying between now and Christmas? Two billion people. That's what this judgment is going to bring on the earth. And then we have our our fifth seal. Now, this judgment takes place in heaven but it, it results in activity on earth. This, this, when this seal is broken, you see the saints in heaven begin to cry out to God, when are you going to bring justice? Now, this is a particular group of saints. They're tribulational saints. That, that means these are people, remember, we, I believe anyway that the church is raptured on day one of the tribulation. There's no believers on the earth, but people are going to become believers. And now here we are at the fifth seal, six months in, nine months, maybe 15 months into the tribulation. And there are people coming to Christ and they're almost immediately being killed. And, and, and now we see them in heaven saying, God, when are you going to bring justice? And what is being communicated in this seal is the guilt of the world. Now, folks, everything being communicated in the tribulation is true of humanity right now. It's true of the way things work right now. And so as they're going through this awfulness, God is going to be able to say, I gave you a chance to escape. I gave you a way out. I gave you the gospel and you killed the messenger. You killed the one who brought an escape. So this judgment is showing the world its guilt. It's amazing how innocent we believe we are and yet completely guilty. The sixth seal, and this one I do want to read. Look at, look at uh, Re- Revelation 6 there. Look at verse 12. I'll begin reading in verse 12. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake. The sun became dark as black cloth and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person. Now, folks, let me define this language here a little bit. Every slave and free person is just describing all the people in the world. 
you know, and, and everybody else. Now, back up before every slave and free person. You got kings, rulers, generals, wealthy. Those are usually the folks that even when times are really, really bad, they, they, they end up okay, don't they? I mean, generally speaking, no, how, no matter how bad things are, if you're living in the palace, you get through it, right? And yet, no, even, even that group that is usually protected, let me finish reading now, all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They're not living in a palace. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive? This six seals is an awesome and and terrifying event that just wreaks havoc across the entire planet. And everybody's living in fear. Now, when we look at what already is happening, we'd say, "Well, well, of course, everybody, look what's going on in the world around us. Of course, we're living in fear. But they're not afraid because of the physical things going on around them. They're afraid of the lamb. That's a that's a different language for us, isn't it? I mean, we think of the Lamb of God, the precious Lamb of God, our Savior. They're afraid to look at the Lamb. And that's what we see here happening in this. Now, look at chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. We're going to see the seventh seal. We're on the seventh seal, chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. So what is the seventh seal? It is seven more judgments called trumpet judgments. Look down there, and I'm going to stop reading now and just start going through this. But look at verse 7, chapter 8, verse 7. We see the first trumpet. It is the destruction of one-third of the vegetation on the earth. An event is going to happen, and one-third of our vegetation is gone. Second one, verses 8 and 9, talks about a mountain on fire. Now, we're not talking about a mountain, you know, that's strapped to the earth. We're talking about a mountain in the sky. I have no idea what a mountain in the sky that is on fire is, but some kind of great fireball is coming, and as a result of this, it will destroy one-third of all salt water. Oceans, seas, the waters, all the life that lives in them, one-third of that will be destroyed. And whatever is happening in that is also making it so that ships cannot pass through one-third of those waters. Imagine how that will change things. And then we get to the next trumpet, verses 10 and 11, one-third of the fresh water. Now, you'll notice, folks, as we go through these judgments, some of them mention this many people will die. There's a lot of these judgments that don't mention anybody dying. But do you think one-third of the fresh water gone in America in a single moment is going to cause the death of people? You know, we can go a long time without food. You can only go a couple of days without water. That will result in, in, in death. The fourth trumpet brings a darkening of the, of the heavenly bodies caused by some kind of haze or, or pollution of some sort. So we've got four, we're four trumpets now. Now, we might imagine, okay, a trumpet blows, a judgment takes place, some time passes, and then a second trumpet blows. There's no timing being communicated here. 
And, and I would imagine some of these, it, it is a judgment, and then there's some times. There is a judgment, and then there is some time. But I believe in these first four trumpets, they all happened at the exact same moment. And the reason, now this is just an opinion, okay? You look at some of these things, and you think, okay, now is that a supernatural thing happening? Or is something natural happening there? On these first four trumpets, I kind of wonder, is this a series of nations that are launching nuclear warheads at one another? Radiation poisoning, not just the impact of the blast, but radiation poisoning actually would accomplish a lot of what is being described here. So I wonder if something has happened. I mean, we know it's a time of great war. People are slaughtering people and, and, and we start firing the the nuclear warheads and, and we're poisoning everything and the environment is being destroyed. That's just a guess. It it could be some more other kind of supernatural event. Uh, Again, you, you think about John, first century language, first century vocabulary, trying to describe something. How would you describe a mushroom cloud? He's never even seen a bomb, much less a mushroom cloud. You might look at that. That's like a mountain on fire. You know, so he's seeing something like that. Whatever it is, uh, folks, it's, it's bad, right? And so now we come to, uh, you think of what we've seen. We've seen six seals. We saw a seventh seal that has brought us these fourth trumpets. Imagine what humanity has been through. And then you see this. An eagle flies through the heavens and it says, Whoa, 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 for what is to come. We're just getting warmed up. We we hadn't really done anything yet. Now, now comes the bad stuff. I'm, I'm guessing if you're alive on earth, this is a bad moment <laughs> when you realize now it's going to get bad. Let me go ahead and read this fifth trumpet. Chapter 9, verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star had fallen to the earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace, and the sunlit and the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. Then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but only people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were told not... Oh, did you notice that? Only those who don't have the seal of God. If you notice when we read this, we get all... Whoo, what about the mark of the beast? And why are people getting the mark of the beast? You know what? If I were you, I'd be... I'd really be wanting to think about the mark of God. <laughs> That's the mark I want on my life. But notice what this means now. Either mark, you've got pain coming. So there actually is no real reason to give in to Satan, to give in to Antichrist. You're not missing anything. You're not escaping anything by, by taking his mark. Because we got the mark that these scorpions are going to hit those that do not have the mark or the seal of God on their foreheads. They were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. In those days, listen to this, in those days people will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads and their faces looked like human faces. They had hair like women's hair and teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron and the wings roared like an army of chariots, chariots rushing into battle. 
They had tails that stung like scorpions, and for five months they had the power to torment people. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollon, the destroyer. The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. The terrors being the uh, trumpets five, six, and seven are also called woes or terrors. Now, folks, when I read this this particular one, and, and you'll notice, I, maybe you notice, the words like and as are used more in chapter 9 than in any other chapter of Revelation. Meaning, when you're saying like and as, John is struggling. He is struggling to describe what he's seeing. Maybe it's because it's in a world for which he has no vocabulary. Maybe it's because of the supernatural that he's looking at and has no vocabulary. As I said just a moment ago, I think we can look and say, hey, is there something natural? You know, I sometimes wonder, would these locusts be something like an Apache helicopter? You know, we talk about the sound and all that. I mean, how would he describe an Apache helicopter? But here... I actually take this as pretty literal. I I take this as straightforward. I think this trumpet, this woe is unleashing a demonic horde on the planet. I, I, I don't think it's something natural. I think it's demonic because there are personalities there. They have a name, one of them anyway, the destroyer. They're able to take instruction. Don't kill the grass, but torment the person. I don't think a helicopter can take that kind of direction. I, I, I don't think it has that kind of control to leave the grass alone, but, but bring torment to the person. So I, I take this as a demonic horde. The destroyer here would not be Satan. Throughout, throughout the scripture, we know where Satan is. Satan's in the heavenlies. This guy has been locked in the bottomless pit, in the abyss. There is, the scriptures in a number of places refer to a group of angels that were locked away after their fall, that were put into this abyss. And this is their leader. He's not Satan, but my guess is he has a similar authority. He has a similar power as like Satan has. He is the king of this horde of demons that has been locked away all of this time. And they're getting out now to torment and cause pain. They sting like a scorpion. I would just take that at face value. That's what they, I wonder what that means. I think it means they sting like a scorpion. You know, scorpions, kind of like uh, spiders or snakes. I mean, some are more deadly than others, right? I don't, I don't think a lot of people die, actually, from a scorpion. You know, there's different scorpions, but I think most of the time it's not lethal. It's not deadly. But I do understand that most scorpions, if you get stung by them, you probably, at least for several moments there, wish you were dead. You will wish you were dead in that moment. And so what is this, man? It's a, it's a demonic horde being released on the earth uh, to bring this, this torment on the earth. So that is, that is the first woe. The sixth trumpet or the second woe is verses 13 to 21. And it'll start off by saying that four angels are are being released. They've been bound. And to me, that's an operative word. Remember, you can see the word angel, and that doesn't always mean good angel. Okay? Sometimes angels are described as demons. But angel in the Bible, just that word by itself, doesn't always mean a good angel. And the good angels are never described in Scripture as being bound. And these four angels are bound. And so I... I, 
I assume, I believe that they're a, a more of a demonic type of angel. And they're being released. And the result of their being released from the, the Euphrates there is, we just remember way back when, when one-fourth of the world's population died? Well, whatever is left, one-third of that is about to die. I mean, do you realize if you're living through this time, the death toll has been phenomenal. Last week, we talked about why why the tribulation was different than any other time on earth. And I gave you a couple of reasons for that, but I held back the big one. I mean, the world has never seen this kind of death toll. If you're a family during this time and you have five in your family, four dead. If you have 137 friends, you've been to roughly 111 funerals in the last several months and years. The death toll is just phenomenal. It is in this woe that we're told about an army of 200 million people. Now, a lot of times, matter of fact, I referred to it this way last week, we put that on China. Now, now the reason we put that on China is not because we believe China to be bad. It's because for the last 50 years, whenever it happened, China's been the only nation that has a population that could produce a 200 million person army. Now, honestly, at this point, I don't think any nation has 200 million people in it to produce an army. And it it doesn't give us the nation. It just says east of the Euphrates. A lot of times interpreters have referred to the Far East. It could be China. It could be a group of Far East countries that are putting together an army of 200 million. And they're coming across to fight the Antichrist. They're uniting against the Antichrist. But remember, we don't have to go all the way to the Far East. It just said east of the Euphrates. East of the Euphrates is where a lot of the Muslim countries in the world live today. It could be them uniting this. And because there is such a supernatural nature to these woes, this actually could be a demonic horde. It could be an army of 200 million demons. But here's the bottom line. However we understand and define this army, it's real. It is a real army, and it will do the real things that an army of 200 million does. Notice chapter 9, verse 20. Chapter 9, verse 20. But the people who did not die in these plagues, listen, still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now, folks, human beings aren't something different during this time than they are today. This is a statement about humanity. The reason people don't come to Christ is because they don't want to come to Christ. That is always in every single person's life. That is always the reason people do not come to Christ. You know, I've got intellectual problems with that. I've had some experiential problems with, you know, I just, I could never worship a God who would. We'll come up with our whole wide variety of reasons. The bottom line is we want our sin and we do not want God. It never gets past that issue right there. You say, well, so how is it that it happened to me? How is it that I, I came to the cross It's God's gracious work in your life. Don't ever hold pride in your salvation. Hold a humble gratefulness for what God has done in your life because we don't want them. 
What we do want is our sin. Okay, so now we go to the seventh trumpet, the third woe. I want to read here also chapter 11, verse 15. This is just an awesome moment right here. Chapter 11, verse 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders sitting on their thrones before God fell with their faces to the ground and worshiped him. And they said, we give thanks to you, Lord God, the almighty, the one who is and who always was. For now you have assumed your great power and you have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people. And all who fear your name, from the least to the greatest, it is time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth. All. Remember, I made a, a point, I remember if it was last week or the week before. Day one, at the end of the tribulation, the last day, that there's no one believers left. This would be one verse that I would be referring to. All who have brought destruction to the earth. I haven't destroyed the earth. Every single sin is a destructive agent on this earth. All who have destroyed will be destroyed. Verse 19, and one very important verse here. Then in heaven, the temple of God was open and the ark of his covenant could, not be, could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared, and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. It's so exciting to read this verse. It's kind of, you know, they say timing's everything. Just last night, I was watching, it was on TV, Indiana Jones. The Ark of the, he did not find the Ark of the Covenant. The government has not stored it away in a warehouse somewhere. This is where the Ark of the Covenant, wonder where the Ark of, wonder what happened. It's right there in heaven. God said this is where it is. So problem solved, okay? Mark that verse down and remember that next time somebody's discussing that. So folks, we're at the end, okay? That's the main thing I want you to see here. We are moving into what would be at, at least the final months, if not the final weeks of this seven-year tribulation. Look at chapter 16. See, we have a big jump. Remember I told you, this is where sometimes people get lost. We're moving chronologically, and then we stop and get supplemental information. So 12, 13, 14, 15, we're getting a lot of supplemental information. Chapter 16, we pick back up in the chronology. Verse 1, then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. The first bowl, right there in verse 2, pours out on the earth and, and the, man, the people that are left get all kinds of boils or some kind of cancer sore all over their skin. It is incredibly painful. Verse, uh, verse 3 gives us the second bowl. Now, we already saw one-third of sea life, saltwater life, destroyed, right? This bowl, the second bowl, wipes out all of it now. All salt water, a hundred percent of the oceans and the seas are now destroyed. What, what does it look like when 72% of the planet, because that's what our earth is with water, 72% of the planet is completely and totally destroyed. The third board, you say, well, at least we still have a little bit of fresh water left. Eh. Third bowl wipes out all 
fresh water. So obviously we have to be at the end, right? Because nobody's, nobody's living without water for any amount of time. There's no salt water. There's no fresh water. Uh, the fourth bowl, verse 8 and 9, the strength of the sun is going to be heightened so that people are burning when they go outside. You know, when you think about what has gone on, and it is very destructive in the environment, right? At this point, you wonder, is this a supernatural thing, or has the ozone been destroyed? I mean, the ozone is what protects us from the sun. Is the ozone wiped out, and and now what is just happening here is what would happen to our skin and our bodies without without an ozone. Again, it'll mention there that people continue to harden their hearts. They refuse uh, to repent. The fifth bowl, verses 10 and 11, darkness covers the earth. And people gnaw their tongues in pain. You know, when you consider what we've just looked at, darkness doesn't seem so bad, does it? I mean, that's all this bowl is, is darkness. Until you stop and think. And I know some of you here know exactly what we're we're, we're talking about. You you ever come out of a real major surgery? That that first night, that, that, that first couple of days? Maybe you've been really, really ill, had a really, really bad wound. When is it worst? It's at night. Now, has anything physically changed from day to night? No, not really. It's just that in darkness, in stillness, there's absolutely nothing to divert our attention from our pain. All we feel, all we experience is that pain. Physical pain, emotional pain. That's all they have now. The earth is covered in darkness all they are, they're all left completely alone with that pain. The sixth bowl, verses 12 to, to 16, brings about Armageddon. A demonic spirit will move throughout the earth and begin moving those armies that we just talked about. The 200 million, it's moving the armies, it's moving, it is drawing the entire earth to Armageddon. Armageddon is a geographical place in, in Israel. I've had, I've had a chance to stand over it and, and look over that. Her, matter of fact, last time I was there, I listened to my wife give the most beautiful devotion uh, to a group of people about Armageddon and what is going to happen. It is awesome to stand there and think what this piece of real estate means to the end of the earth. And, and so it will bring everybody there uh, to, to, this, to this place. They all think this is about a great battle for political and world power, and they don't know all they're doing is setting the table for the great day of God, the Almighty. And the last bowl is simply a bowl announcing it is done. And that unleashes an earthquake and a great hailstorm. I mean, folks, at this time, you almost have to envision God has just grabbed the planet and is shaking it. He has, he has pummeled the earth. He has brought judgment against all sin. And that is 19 command judgments. That, that is all night. As we continue to move through Revelation and we look at all this supplemental information, remember, this is what is going on in the background as, as we look at that. Now, we're, we're going to leave. It's time, time to go home. But what do we walk away from this with? Do we just walk, wow, or, oh, scary. Why would God? What, what do we walk away? I want to take you back to the very first sermon. Peter told us, 
what we walk away with from information like this. This was not given to you and me to scare us. It was not given to wow us. It was given so that as Peter said when we read that, we would say, boy, in light of what I just learned, what kind of person should I be today? What should I be doing today in light of what I just learned about where history is going? I want to give you four real quick things. Number one, turn to Jesus. You cannot pay for your sin. You cannot pay for your sin. Turn to Christ. Go to a place, go to a person where God's wrath and judgment has already fallen. Do you realize our sin does not escape? We just have a chance to take our sin to a place where God's wrath and judgment has already fallen at the cross. Turn to Christ. Man, if you're here today and you're not sure what that means or what that looks like or how you do that or if you have done it, man, as we conclude here in a moment, there's a desk straight out there in the middle. There'll be some folks standing there that would love to be able to answer any of your questions and dialogue with you about that just for a few moments. Pastor Ham will share with you out at Midlothian where you can go. If you're watching online, you'll see there, there's, there's places where you can, you can make comment. You can have somebody contact you. Man, folks, listen, the reason we learn this is because we're messengers, right? This day is coming, it is real, and you need Jesus, and God has provided that. Number two, something to understand about ourselves. Something to pray about people maybe that you have in your life. As we go through life and pain and suffering and disappointment, folks, we have a real tendency to grow colder and more distant to the Lord. That's what you see happening throughout the entire tribulation. People are growing colder and more distant to God. When God has moved in your life, when God has spoken in your life, when you know you were sitting in that place and you know God was calling, but you moved and you walked away, do you realize you're almost taunting God in that moment saying, it's going to take more to get my attention next time. And based on what I just saw, I don't think that's a challenge you want to issue to the Lord. That it's going to take more to get my attention. Our heart grows colder and harder as we go throughout life. Third, God's power over sin, over Satan, over evil, over man is immeasurable. Do not understand the story of the Bible. Do not understand the story of Revelation to be showing you God rising up in the ninth inning after after losing, after taking a beating, after being way behind, and here God is deep in the ninth inning coming back. No, the day that God comes is the only perfect day. I don't understand all that right now. I don't understand what will make that day perfect, but it will be the perfect day when God comes back, when he brings this day that we just looked at. And when he brings it, it will be absolute destruction against everything that opposes God. This is not God eking out a victory at the end. That This is God reigning supreme. Isn't that what we read in chapter 11, verse 15 to 19? This is God reigning supreme for the God that he is. And, and lastly, folks, he's worthy. He is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our songs. He's worthy of our gifts. He's worthy of our faith. He's worthy of our waiting. 
You wait for something 47 years. You know what? He was worth every second you waited. He's worthy of your inconvenience. He's worthy of your suffering. He is worthy. Because He is the great God Almighty. What we just read, what we just looked at today is referred to in both the Old and the New Testament as the great day of God the Almighty. It is a real day, and this day is coming. The only reason it hadn't happened yet is because God is waiting. God's patient for some, for the chance to miss what is coming through the grace of His Son, Jesus Christ. Is He waiting on you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I would pray for myself, for every one of us in here, for everybody watching online. I would pray for every believer. I would pray for every unbeliever that every one of us knows how to respond to what we just saw. I pray every single person, starting with me, Lord, I pray that every single one of us is rightly convicted. Lord, I pray that believing that not one of us lived life perfectly this past week. I pray we are rightly convicted of the sin, of the actions, of the attitudes, of the wrongs that are, that are going on in our life. And God, as I pray that conviction upon my life, upon our lives, God, I'm so grateful That a response to that conviction does not have to be a response of fear. But a response of gratitude and joy. I want to rightly respond to convicted because of all that I have been saved from. Oh Lord, I pray every one of us, I pray not one person goes to bed tonight not knowing what needs to change based on what we've just learned. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.